0: This sermon is the second in a series of three that asks the overarching question why Christian? And remember, the the purposes of this series are threefold. The first purpose is to address basic Christian beliefs Who is Jesus Christ and, and what difference does he make in history? What is the church and what difference does it make in and for the world? My second purpose is to offer a counter-narrative to the narrative of the church's decline in the West, particularly in the United States. And we've heard the bad news, as we know. traditional markers of success and growth are all going down, down, down. polls, budgets, attendance, etc., cetera, etc cetera, as they say in Seinfeld, yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> but I want to show. And keep showing just how compelling and challenging, enchanting, and reasonable the Christian faith is. Even in this time when people have so many reasons to think otherwise. My third purpose is to provoke thoughtful responses to the extent that the difference Jesus makes may take effect in our communal life. What does discipleship, what does church look like in this time of passive, watered down, domesticated religion? Okay, now on to the church. What is the church and what difference does the church make? Paul shares the most helpful and perhaps the most popular image that the church is the body of Christ. We are the physical existence, the embodiment of Jesus Christ's continued ministry in history. Jesus lived, died, rose from the dead, and ascended to the Father. And now on the other side of Jesus' ascension, the Holy Spirit has poured out on us to constitute our fellowship as a new reality of God's saving mission in the world. The theologian Thorwald Lorenzen has said the church is that community which makes room for Christ to share his life with the world. The church, he says, is only the church when the crucified and risen Christ is becoming manifest in his existence and history and ministry. Think of it this way. If we want to know who God is and what God is like, we look to Jesus Christ. And the world wants to know what Jesus Christ is like. Is called and invited to look to the church. The church is called to glorify God in and for the world. So we'll say it this way. The church is the body of Christ, given for the sake of other bodies and everybody. The word church comes to us from ancient words that mean called out, And summoned, summoned the gathering. There's some evidence that the English word traces back to the Latin word circus, but let's stick with the former meanings for now. I can hear it now, you're a ringleader. If church has to do with being called out or summoned, then inherent in the word church is the sense that our gathering is God's action. So remember this, the very word church teaches us that we don't gather ourselves, God does. With God's gathering us in mind, the first glimpse of what church looks like in the New Testament is the community of disciples called out, summoned by Jesus to the mountainside. Scripture says it this way, when Jesus saw the crowds, Matthew says, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Jesus preaching. Disciples gathered. Church. Jesus begins the sermon by blessing them, the Beatitudes. Notice how Jesus uses rhetoric to surprise them. Every Beatitude except for the last begins this way Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and on. Until he gets to the last beatitude and switches it up on (laughs) them. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. When people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. We, the disciples, sitting there struck looking beside and behind, pointing back to ourselves as if to say, Who? Us? Yes, you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you who come to me. Where Paul has taught us to understand the church as Christ's body, though, today we hear Jesus calling us also to see the church as salt and light. Notice he isn't saying you ought to be salt and light. I hope you never get the overall impression from me preaching that I'm giving you assignments to try a little harder. This is about who we already are. Salt and light. It's good news. You are the salt of the earth. You already are the light of the world, Jesus tells us. Blessed are you. Don't forget this. Now, epiphany is a season of growing light and revelation, a season of illumination for the church. But how might it illuminate our minds and hearts to think of the church itself as light? I don't mean that only churches put off light, as though there are no other sources of light in the world. The church doesn't have a monopoly on light. I believe perhaps one of the fringe benefits of being God is you can shine light wherever you want and through whom ever you want. But I believe Jesus is saying that wherever His beloved community is in the world, it makes an elegant lampstand and the light it shines is specifically the glory of God. I'm recalling the concert for the Asheville Youth Choirs this past December when they sang a number by Eric Whitaker called Glow. Oh, Lord have mercy. It was Stunningly beautiful. Sitting right up there in the balcony, my little perch, my natural habitat. And I was left breathless. And I seem to remember folks around me and everyone in the room just being stunned. It was as if, as they sang, they glowed. Church. We forget how luminous the church has been across its history and how God has changed the world forever through, of all things, church. One of the differences the church has made is inventing the hospital, practically from scratch. More specifically, the monastic tradition, monks, nuns, also many laity, instituted thousands of hospitals across the West from the early 4th century onward. There was simply nothing like this phenomenon in the pagan world up to that time. And according to scholar David Bentley Hart, one particular Christian noblewoman and scholar, St. Fabiola, established the first public hospital in Western Europe and, despite her wealth and position, often ventured out into the streets personally to seek out those who needed care. The church is the body of Christ, given for the sake of other bodies and every body. Imagine the difference the church makes when Christians remember their history about the invention of the hospital and remember that it was not for profit, but for what human beings could bear. We may also thank the church for its funding of the earliest universities, and Christians for unprecedented advancements in philosophy and technology. In fact, the first known teacher of a systematic method for scientific experimentation was a brilliant Christian named Robert Grossetest. He translated the works of Aristotle and early Christian scholars and wrote his own widely respected works of philosophy and theology. He remains a beloved father of scientific thought at Oxford University. So it should come as no surprise that he also introduced stunning approaches to studying the natural world in relation to light and its effects. So I want to say enough with the story we hear so much today and throughout modernity that Christians are the enemies of scientific and philosophical thought. This is true for too many Christians, but these Christians have forgotten that we can trace much of Western civilization's scientific, architectural, philosophical, and artistic achievements to a uniquely Christian imagination preoccupied with convictions about abundant life, unconditional grace, and the sacred worth of every person. Imagine what difference the church can make today by embracing these essential parts of our history, wherever we are, to the degree that people begin to change their minds about us and therefore who we represent. Jesus also tells us, you're the salt of the earth. Salt nourishes. It freshens, it rejuvenates. It's antibacterial. I didn't know that until I studied for this. I don't know how antibacterial, but it is. Did you know Asheville has its very own salt cave? Downtown, it attracts people from everywhere. Tourists love to go there on holiday. Anyone can go there for rest from their labors or to be restored or to be revitalized. There they can close their eyes and sink into deep prayer and be renewed by this invigorating microclimate. You know it's address. Five Oak Street. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. We also think of how salt seasons. James Beard award-winning chef, Samin Nasrat, teaches us that what salt really does is enhance flavors already, pre- already present. It modifies and deepens flavor. It also suppresses bitter flavors and amplifies sweetness. Think of, think of that as being your reason to go to church from now on. Why are you going to church? i got to amplify some sweetness around here. <laughs> Sprinkle a little salt on watermelon or cantaloupe next time. You're welcome. <laughs> Saltiness also has to do with boldness and liveliness. I wonder sometimes if the saltiness Jesus proclaims is in the sense we might say of someone, boy, does he have a salty tongue. (laughs) To be clear, I don't mean salty in the sense of being vulgar or racy. Rather, I mean salty in the sense of being lively, spirited, spicy, colorful, debonair. I wonder if God would reckon it to a congregation as righteousness to be called salty because of its punchy, biting character. I'm reminded of the Waldensian Evangelical Church right in the heart of Rome. Just a 20-minute walk from Vatican City and surrounded by Catholic churches, they count as friends. They constitute a striking witness and a community of good news for those whom much of the church around the world continues to keep on the margins. Recently, beloved Pope Francis and I love I love old Francis. He asked the Waldensians for forgiveness for the church's unchristian and even inhuman attitudes and actions which we have done to you throughout history he said in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ forgive us. To which the Waldensians in the spirit of Christian love responded no. They, uh, they explained your gesture, while appreciated, does not allow us to step in the place of those who testified with their blood or the other Protestants suffering their faith and to forgive you. Whew. Salty church. Salt also preserves. It preserves. Earlier this week, uh, the ministers, uh, my colleagues on staff, together went on a hood-huggers tour. Anyone can sign up to go on a hood-huggers tour, learn about African-American neighborhoods and history in Asheville. We sat in stunned silence as Duane, the tour leader, told us the story of the demolition of Stevens Lee High School in the mid-70s, 1975 I believe. Now the high school was built by the same architect, uh, Ronald Green, who built the, the building downtown, the, the tall building looks like it's from Ghostbusters with the gargoyles on it. There's nothing a- ailing the world today that a few more gargoyles wouldn't improve. He, he built, he designed uh, Stevens Lee High School. Beautiful, uh, striking high school. It was the center of African-American community. Thankfully, the gym still stands and is a community center, but the high school itself overlooked the city on the hill. Ten years after integration, sitting there empty, was targeted for demolition. No one in the community was told, Dwayne said. When the bulldozers showed up, people came running out to collect a memento, a brick, a stone, something, some piece of the high school that had meant so much to them and their community. If salt preserves, it makes me wonder, what if all the white Christians in Asheville had made a beeline to the perimeter of that school and joined hands around it and made sure that if any bulldozer was going to touch its facade, it would have to go through them. Would God call us to surround the most vulnerable again today? Who are we? What difference does the church make? Through the brittle, broken, sinful church, God has chosen to illuminate, season, preserve, save the world. The church is the body of Christ, given for the sake of other bodies and everybody. Now I want to say this, after all these years, I know some of you think of me as a boy, but I have been preaching for over 23 years now. After all these years, I remain unconvinced that people giving up on church are giving up on church because, are not giving up on church because they don't believe in God anymore. More likely to my way of seeing things. They've given up because they came to taste and see the Lord is good, but discovered to their disappointment that a community had somehow lost its saltiness. The word somehow lost its color and zest. Somewhere along the way they sensed the congregation losing its vigor for the things that really matter and they walked away not because they lost their way but because they went looking for the nourishing, seasoning, spirited, preserving church Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount, the illuminating, salty, difference-making church, and they gave up finding it. I believe that story changes here. I see people all the time for whom that story becomes a different story here. And even though we, the First Baptist Church of Asheville, are also at the mercy of our own time and our own doubts and our own sins with our own confessions to make and our own past dappled with soaring beauty and embarrassing regrets, I believe God has given us one another and this place to be a flourishing outpost of ingenuity, creativity, artistic expression, scientific exploration, health care, theological and philosophical imagination, mercy, forgiveness, salvation, resurrection. The the former president of my seminary, Tom Graves, was president of Baptist Theological Seminary, when I was a student there, he had this wonderful sermon he would preach, and it was called, What's Right with the Church? And with beautiful rhetoric throughout the sermon, he'd say, What's right with the church? Not everything. Then he would offer an endearing word about the church, like, But here I find myself caught up in the life-saving work of Jesus Christ, and I am compelled to follow him. That's what I would say. What's right with the church? Not everything. But here I learn again and again that Jesus loves me and you and them. What's right with the church? What difference does the church make? As it turns out, all the difference in the world.